and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. This week I chat to the incredible Katie Abbott. Katie has worked as a therapist and as a coach from Harley Street for the past 10 years, and she's also the founder of Pause Place, which is really interesting and I highly recommend you look it up. It's the first certified coach training which is dedicated to the strength of love, presence, and connection. So it's quite different than any traditional coach training out there. We recorded this on a really rainy Monday morning, and I was having a tough time. That Sunday night, Jessie had hardly slept. She's two and she's going through a massive sleep regression, and I was absolutely exhausted. And I walked into Katie's therapy room in Harley Street, and I just felt instantly held by her. She's one of the kindest, most loving and connected women that I've had the pleasure of meeting. And I hope that comes across in our conversation. We quickly became incredibly open with each other and we both cried as we were talking about connection with our children and how it feels to be disconnected. I became pregnant with Jacob and I felt very connected to this little soul, this little being right from the beginning, and I loved the pregnancy. I was like walking around on this kind of cloud nine. And how hard it is sometimes to continually show up. So we go deep in this one. We talk a lot about feelings, feeling feelings. You know, we're both in the same boat. We both have these feelings. And he said to me the other day, he said, Nommy, I have to just feel this because I have to let it out. I just have to let this feeling out and then I'll feel better. So we kind of on a mission together. Growing as mothers, growing as humans, connection, love, spirituality, we cover it all. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did recording it. I try not to have favourites, but if I did, this one would definitely be up there. So yeah, here it is, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Katie, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. Oh, it's so lovely to be with you. I know, I'm so excited to be having this chat. We were just talking before we started. I feel a bit depleted mm. and a bit tired, so I'm actually I'm so excited that this was in the diary this morning, just to have a really nurturing chat. Absolutely. about things that matter absolutely so before we start can you just tell everyone a bit about who you are and what you do so i'm katie and i have been working here at harley street for the last 10 years with clients i originally trained in cognitive hypnotherapy so i set up a therapy practice and then over the years i was a bit of a course junkie so i trained in all sorts of things and traveled far and wide learning from all sorts of people and I ended up doing a transformative coaching course in the States and my practice it evolved over the years to include coaching but always with a therapeutic base at its core and so I've had an incredible 10 years working with other people in a very kind of intimate honest way really getting to understand what it is to be human through my clients' lives and through the conversations that we have. And there's nothing more important to me than being able to sit with another human being and, you know, connect to that space that is just alive in the moment, alive in presence with truth and honesty and exploration. So that's what I do. I love this work. I love being here at Harley Street. And 
The other component of the work that I do is that I run a training course place, which is a six-month coaching training for people wanting to work with others. But it's also a journey of personal exploration. So it's for people that are looking to deepen their understanding of themselves and other people. And it's so funny, though, because I've been, as I said to you just before we began, I'm normally very much in my kind of comfort zone here at Harley Street. But over the last few weeks, I've been feeling all of this energy, all of this kind of nervous energy when talking to other people. And I think it's because I'm a pretty open book anyway, but more and more what comes through is just the truth in the moment. It's like I can't hide anything. I suppose it's like having a very thin layer of skin. And I'm a sensitive person at heart anyway. So if I sound a little bit shaky or a little bit, I'm fine. It's just, yeah, it's just life, isn't it? I think, you know, one of the things about life is that we wake up and every day is different. We feel different every single day. And some days we feel like we take over the world and we're excited and we're just kind of out there. And then other days we just feel like these little mice that just want to curl up. And I think I'm an introvert at heart so often. You know, I recharge when I'm just quiet on my own, so... Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. I'm the same, I relate. And have you always been into this work or did you come to it through a challenge in your own life or an awakening? How did you find this path? When I was a teenager, when I was 16, I had two panic attacks, one in a the theatre, that was the first one. It seems like three million lifetimes ago now, but I was watching Lion King and it's funny because I was in central London at the weekend and we walked past the theatre and I haven't seen the theatre. I was like, that's so strange, that was that theatre... So I had this panic attack and it was very unsettling and I think I had another one on a train, I can't really remember that one. And I was going off to South America to walk the Inca Trail on my own. I'd read this huge book called The Conquest of the Incas, it was literally like this kind of massive book and I got it into my head that I wanted to walk the Inca Trail and see Machu Picchu. So yeah, I was really scared that I'd have a panic attack on the aeroplane. So I went to see a therapist called Robert Lewis here in Harley Street, actually in this room that we were in now when I was 16. And um, Robert was amazing. He's a real artist when it comes to metaphor and storytelling and language and healing. And he's very worldly as well. And yeah, so I went to see Robert and the sessions I had with Robert really, really helped. And I was working in my early 20s in different arts organisations. So I worked with a theatre company called Clean Break that worked with women who'd had experience with the criminal justice or mental health system. And it was an amazing organisation and an incredible experience. But I spent a lot of my time doing the administration behind my computer, kind of organising events. And then there were these kind of magical moments with the women where I would sit down next to someone. We'd all have lunch together around this big table. And I would, you know, have a conversation with someone and it would just make it all worthwhile. So, to cut a long story short, I had a light bulb moment, and the light bulb moment was if I trained to be a therapist, then I could spend all my time having meaningful conversations with people about life. And once I'd had that light bulb, that was kind of, that was it. I knew that was what I wanted to do. So that's when I looked to discover what I would train in and how I'd go about setting up my practice. And there was just nothing stopping me at that point. I was completely in my element and kind of have been ever since, I suppose. And so you've trained in lots of different things, haven't you? Have you always felt sort of guided onto the next thing or has, has that been quite a deliberate way that I guess you've evolved and gained your extra skills? No, it's just been following an instinct. You know, it's like there's so much out there as far as trainings and courses and things to do. But it's always just been 
you know, I've heard about something or somebody's told me about something and if it's felt right, I've, mm. yeah, I've, I've dived in. And you've got two boys, haven't you? I have, I have, yeah, Arlo and Jacob. And how old are they? Arlo's four and a half and Jacob is 15 months. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is obviously my passion is talking about motherhood and yeah. and this stuff, like you're talking about truth, mm. I guess. How's your sort of inner world or experience of yourself changed since you've become a mum or has it has it changed oh gosh I don't even know where to begin with this because there's so much in a way but Mm. I'll I'll see what arises I wasn't one of those people that was kind of obsessed with being a mum at an early age but I always knew that it was something that I wanted to experience so I couldn't imagine not having children so I was really really happy to be pregnant with and pregnancy on the whole so I had the morning sickness at the beginning but it was a good pregnancy but the birth was completely overwhelming in a way that I could never have predicted Mm. at that point in my life I was very clear that I wanted to have an epidural I didn't want to experience a kind of natural birth I wanted the pain to be removed as much as possible and that's what happened so I went into hospital I was actually induced at 42 weeks and Arlo was nearly 11 pounds, so it was a huge baby, and I had a third-degree tear and an episiotomy. And the birth itself was incredibly overwhelming, and I was rushed off to the kind of emergency operating room, and it was, I think, for at least a year afterwards, I was in a state of shock, and I was very vulnerable. Couldn't even sit down. I sat on one of those kind of rubber donuts, couldn't even sit down without being in pain. And I didn't have any of those kind of immediate connection with Arlo. I actually felt like I needed a lot of space, a lot of distance. Mm. Breastfeeding was a challenge, even though we got there eventually. And it was hard. I remember thinking, it just doesn't feel right. It didn't feel like it was meant to be like that. And I found it really, really hard. And I would see other mums with their kids who just looked so connected and it all looked right. I remember even walking down the road with a buggy and just thinking... I'm embarrassed by this buggy, I'm embarrassed by my baby, I'm embarrassed by myself, just, oh, I just can't cope with all of this. That's what it felt like. It was really, really hard. But it did get easier, and my pregnancy with Jacob was a completely different experience. I'd actually had, and this is a story for another day, but I'd had a kind of experience when Arlo was about a year that I wasn't looking for. It was completely out of the blue, completely unexpected. But it was a kind of an awakening experience, which I know sounds a bit funny to say awakening, but I completely woke up for a week in my life and was totally liberated from being a kind of normal human being with insecurities. And I was just liberated from being Katie and had ridiculous amounts of energy and was like walking into a different world for a week. And it actually, it was euphoric for a large part of it and then right at the end it got really overwhelming and I kind of made the decision I wanted to do everything I could to get back to life as I had known it which is what happened but of course you never forget you know what happens in a week like that but it was kind of an extraordinary week and then I became pregnant with Jacob and I was just in such a different space I knew without any logical thinking that I wanted to have a natural birth that I wanted to have him at home, I wanted a home birth. I felt very connected to this little soul, this little being right from the beginning, and I loved the pregnancy. I was like walking around on a kind of cloud nine. 
as it happened, and again, another long story, I ended up having Jacob in hospital. And it was terrifying for all sorts of different ways. Again, the second birth, but it was also an amazing experience and much, 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 much easier physically. And my body was, you know, obviously had already given birth once and the recovery was much, much quicker. And I felt very, very different. And I did feel all those connections that you would hope to feel and just fell in love with this little soul. And in a kind of effortless way, it was just, I was in love. I was completely in love. And I still am with both boys, although kind of continue to this day. I mean, they're both my teachers and I see that so clearly, but my dynamic with Arlo is much more, for me at least, complicated and difficult. I love Arlo to bits, but he just knows how to push my buttons and it's challenging. Whereas with Jacob, it's just very, very different. It's just easy. And I try my hardest, you know, obviously, to give them both equal amounts of love and attention. But of course, there are times when it's just easier. You know, if I was to go out with just me and Jacob for the day or for a walk, there's just a kind of peace in my being Mm. that if I was to meet someone walking down the road, I would just feel relaxed because I would feel, and this sounds terrible, this is just me being honest, but I'd feel like if I met someone, this is an insecurity of me, but if I met someone when I was with Jacob, I would feel like, oh yeah, this is how I want to show the world what I'm like as a mother. This shows the world my you know, what I want to present to the world. You know, you can just see that there's that connection and that ease, whereas sometimes with Arlo, in my insecurity, I feel like maybe I'm being judged. Other people will think, oh, you know, that person's not very grounded because their son's looking, you know, moody or having a strop, and it brings up all my insecurities. So that's my challenge. In some ways, Arlo is my greatest teacher. Mm, I was thinking that. Yeah, he is. I know, he really is. And it just, it's just letting go, it's surrendering. And... It's so hard to do, but Arlo is, yeah. And he's a great little boy. I think it's something to just accept our Mm. children for who they are rather than wanting them to be in our mind, our ideas of how they should be. That's the greatest challenge in life, isn't it? To accept people as they are. Yeah. What do you think he's here to teach you? Well, what's coming to my mind right now is that everything's okay and that everybody is different. Everybody has a different gift. Sometimes I feel like... Arlo's not one of those people that can kind of put on that face, that show. And I know that I have that tendency, I can do that. You know, I know how to kind of just have that ease with people. And Arlo's not like that. But there's something in Arlo that's very real and very honest and very true. You know, there's no pretending there. And I really, I think he's teaching me how to love, how to care unconditionally. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I welled up because I feel the same about Jesse. I think that's it. I think... You know, when I think about my greatest lesson through motherhood, I used control through my life so much as a way to keep myself feeling safe. Absolutely. And that just, for me, does not work. No. As you say, a little being who hasn't got all those, you know, limiting beliefs and all those behaviours and all those external behaviours to keep other people happy, she just doesn't have any of that. So that's why I think it's so fascinating, this journey. Instead of trying to control her more and more, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to look at myself more and more. As you say, you know, so beautifully, why am I caring so much about what people think? I know. I've always cared what people think, if I'm honest. You know, and that's where a lot of my passion comes from, is how can we use these challenges that they naturally present us with, mirrors, 
to deepen our own healing or growth or whatever words we want to use instead of obsessing about their behaviour and it's hard though isn't it I find it exhausting actually yeah me too I'd rather use the naughty step I mean obviously I don't choose to do that I think it's hard this path it is how do you um replenish yourself I was thinking about this the other day I think I know when I start to lose a connection some kind of connection with life and the way I can describe that is that I'm aware if I'm just going through the motions. Life is just life and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I forget that life is magical and life is beautiful and life is sacred and meaningful. And and if I'm walking through life and I haven't been touched at that deep level, if there's a certain amount of numbness or I'm not drawn to tears by something that is either tragic or sweet or beautiful or and I'm just going through the motions and I, there's a part of me that just knows, hang on a minute hang on a minute, hang on a minute. And I suppose the way I reconnect is through quiet time on my own. Maybe in the evening when the kids are in bed, I'll light a candle, I will burn incense, I will read my poetry books. It's it's often poetry. It's like the person who's written the book or compiled the poetry, if it's a poetry book, I can kind of feel if something has come from a place of realness and if it hasn't I don't read as many kind of self-helpy books or anything like that like I used to but things you know ancient things like the old mystical poetry from centuries ago just touch me in that place where I I remember I remember I remember something like a truth do you get truth yeah Yeah. I have that experience it's almost like just my soul's recognition of a truth yeah. and it speaks to me on a level outside of my head that's the only it. way I can describe that's, it yeah you've just summed it up perfectly there it's that yeah it's that are you able to find those moments when you're with the boys so my experience is it's sort of like crazy 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 often and then in the evenings I'll do some reconnection and then crazy 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 but I'm interested I'm trying to learn at the moment how I can find those moments when I'm with Jessie yeah so that I'm not losing it losing as you talk about that connection of course I mean I lose it all you know I lose that connection all the time and I'm with the boys and I'm just in the full-on you know motherhoodness of do you lose your temper I do sometimes yeah absolutely you know not at all really with Jacob which sounds terrible but without he's much younger obviously he's still a baby but with Arlo yeah I do one of the things I've started talking to with Arlo is I've kind of said, look, Arlo, because he gets stroppy, I get stroppy, we both get stroppy. So I talk to him very much on a level and I say, look, let's learn together. Let's help each other. You know, we're both in the same boat. We both have these feelings. And he said to me the other day, he said, Mommy, I have to just feel this because I have to let it out. I just have to let this feeling out and then I'll feel better. So we kind of on a mission together as best we can to kind of support one another, I suppose. I don't know whether he supports me. He's, you know, he's a kid, but of course he does on some levels. One of the things I was just thinking about is that after I had Arlo and I was in this kind of real fog, as I explained, Mm. I reached out to this woman who lives in the States who I'd had a few coaching sessions with. And I hadn't spoken to anyone in a therapy context since having him. But we decided to have this one session. We spoke and we spoke for an hour and I didn't really say much. I just listened to her. And when I finished the conversation, I came downstairs and Arlo was in the sitting room with Nige, my partner. And it was like somebody had turned the volume down in my head. And I was able to just watch them, observe them playing, being, doing whatever they were doing. 
And it was as if there was nothing that I needed to do. I didn't need to interfere with the moment. I didn't need to interfere with life. I could just be there and watch it. And of course, I'm not always in that place. But sometimes now there are times when I'm with the boys where I'll just step back. It is like I'll go quiet in my mind and I'll be able to just see them and be with them without all of the stuff going on in my head. And I suppose it's in those moments where whatever they're doing or whatever the mood they're in, it doesn't really matter. There's nothing required of them for the connection to be there. The connection is just there in the moment itself. Yeah, so it's just remembering. We do just unfold in the moment, our feelings and emotions. Every human being, it just is unfolding and changing. And not to be kind of afraid of that and to be able to see it happening exactly as you said without the control it's always the control isn't it it's always the control but you know I say that to Jessie sometimes like I say oh you're having a big feeling and in a way she's my greatest teacher on feeling feelings because she'll get upset or happy and in that moment I can see she's just with that feeling she's not judging it doesn't look to me like she's judging it she's just processing it and then she moves on yeah it's fascinating to me to just observe that because I still you know after all these years of practice and you know, my journey, I will still label anger or sadness as bad. I know, I know. We put so much pressure on ourselves. And it's an interesting one because there's part of us that goes, okay, well, I've got to evolve as a human being and and kind of be better, be more awake. You know, there's that mm. part. And then the other part says, but let's just let ourselves be human. I think my evolving is just becoming more and more human. Yeah. Like you were saying at yeah. the start. Yeah, um, I think mine is too, actually. I really do. And when I first joined my um, 12-step recovery 10 years ago, someone said to me, you know, this stuff is about self-acceptance, not self-improvement. Yeah. And at the time, I was really annoyed about that because I was all about the self-improvement, about the resolutions and about the self-help books, as you were saying, and the be better, do better, be more successful, whatever that meant. Mm-hmm. When I heard that, that was a big shift for me. Mm-hmm. Actually, can I just accept myself? And then from there, let's see what happens. It's funny because I'm not a religious person. I don't have a particular religious faith, but the word God is, you know, I'm fine to use that word. And I remember hearing or reading that, you know, God is this kind of infinite being. He doesn't live here in this kind of physical dimension, but that he's created us all differently to express every facet of human emotion, every side of being a human being, and that he gets to experience that through us. And that we are all different and we all express differently to kind of bring to life everything, every part of existence, the dark and the light. And I feel like we have to trust in that Mm. to a certain extent. Would you say you're a spiritual person? I would say. I would definitely say I am, which is funny. I mean, I was never on a spiritual journey. I was never on a spiritual journey, but... I would say because of these experiences that I haven't chosen, in some ways they've just been given to me. There wasn't something that I was looking for. I wasn't searching for to awaken or enlighten me. I wasn't looking for an enlightenment experience. I wasn't searching for any of that stuff. It was never kind of on my radar. But since I've had those kind of glimpses or been given those insights, then I would say definitely. But we were all spiritual beings, but yeah. Spirituality is a huge part of my life and my interest. And for me, it's always that balance between the human and the being. 
I remember going to this talk with this Zen person. It was actually in Paris. This was about seven years ago now. And the only thing I remember him saying was that we're like a bird with two wings. It was a day-long talk, but again, it's the only thing I remember. He said one wing represents the human side, our fears, our insecurities, the human drama that plays mm. out. And the other side represents the being side, the pure oneness, infinite nature. And that if we spend all our time trying to fix the human side, the fears and the anxieties, then that wing is heavier and the bird just flies around and around in circles and doesn't get anywhere. But if we spend all our time trying to, you know, live in clarity or in this higher consciousness and we don't accept the humanness, then that other wing is heavy and, and then the bird flies around and around in circles. So he was just pointing to that balance of the human and the being. So for me, just for where I'm at, I'm very aware that for me it's this just the humbleness of everyday life is what I'm being called to kind of accept. Because I would love to have my head in the poetry books and, you know, be floating around and, you know, reading poetry and, and doing that. But one of the things that family life does for me is brings me back to the ground, brings me back down to earth. The chop would carry water, you know, just doing those things that need to be done and being there. You know, and for my boys, I can't be too, you know, my mind can't be in another dimension, in another world. I have to bring myself back down here. But of course, it's that balance, it's that dance, because I love nothing more than falling out of the kind of conceptual framework of the mind and into the wide, open mystery of the unknown. Mm. I'm drawn there. My heart is drawn there. And at the same time, you know, got to be here for them. And I wanted to ask you about guilt. Mm. Which I think links on to what you were just talking about, yeah. which is good. Because yeah. it's something that I get asked about a lot through Motherkind. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting with the bird, because obviously the guilt is in our minds often. Yeah. It's not real. Yeah. Do you experience guilt that like you're a working mum? That's my first question. The second one is I'd love to know what advice or wisdom you could pass on for anyone listening who is stuck in that you know, that hamster wheel of feeling guilty and anxious and not good enough. Of course, there are times that I feel guilt. You know, I see some of my friends that have really surrendered to motherhood in a way that I know I haven't, but they love it. You know, they're in their element um, doing that. Whereas for me, I don't know. Yeah, of course I feel guilt. Of course I feel guilt. But at the same time, I know that... My purpose, for me personally, kind of lies beyond being a mother. Is something that, you know, I love. It's there. It's a huge part of my life. But my work and my exploration with my clients and with the work that I do with Pause Place is such an important part of who I am. So I don't feel guilty that I do that and that I spend time doing that because I know that if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be fulfilling that part of my soul's destiny in a sense I'm sure that's not what the boys would want either so I don't know guilt it's a funny one I'm trying to kind of access those moments when I feel guilty but I'm, pr I'm pretty clear actually that my work is a huge part of my life and I'm absolutely committed to continuing that mm. and I think it's you know it's obviously it's challenging to combine that with parenthood but it is possible and you know, I do have a lot of support as well that and I know I'm really lucky for that in terms of, you know, my family that 
pal with the boys and friends that help. And yeah, I'm really, really lucky. So in terms of people experiencing guilt, again, it sounds so cheesy, but it's following your heart. And no matter what anyone else says or any expectations other people may have, it's doing what we know. You know, it's, it's hard to be true to ourselves and follow our own path and go our own way. But ultimately, you know, if we just keep tuning in to what feels right for us and obviously, you know, being aware of the impact that has on other people, but knowing that when we are doing the work that we love, whatever that might be, then that, that mm. has a positive impact on so many different areas in our lives and the lives of others. But yeah, I, I couldn't imagine not doing what I do. And my friend Kirsty, who looks after Jacob for a few days in the week, she was laughing in the, in this morning, she was saying, you know, it's Monday morning, Kate, you're in your element, you know, how was the weekend kind of thinking, you know, because she knows that for me, obviously every weekend's different, but it's easier for me to be immersed in this kind of conversation than it might be to be you know building a spaceship that we have to do as a project over half time you know it's just again it's that surrender it's just that letting go it's that's challenging mm, that's interesting so if someone's experienced that perpetual sort of you know guilty feeling going out to work you would suggest look at the work you're doing it's mm, interesting do you mean look at the work and doing it as in to discover what it is yeah. that you might want to do yeah oh, yeah yeah because I'm the same, I don't experience... Uh, some days I'll have, though not really, to be honest, a twinge of, oh, should I be at home with her? But then I sort of know that's a should that's from outside of me. As you say, when I go inside of me, I go, no, no, what I'm doing is... Yeah. I've got the balance right, I do it for three days. And But lots of the women that I sort of work with and talk to are stuck in jobs they find deeply unfulfilling. It's really hard. I really mean, hard. Imagine really, leaving really your... Hard screaming kid at nursery to go and do a job that you don't you're screaming inside about too that is incredible I think that's I'm not going to say the majority but a lot of mums that's their experience yeah it's really hard you know for a long time now I've been doing work that I love I know that I'm in that lucky position and I suppose all I could say is that just keep open to every possibility to discover what it is that you could do that will not only nurture you but also contribute to other people and I Mm. think do you think everyone has that in them I think everybody has something in them that brings them alive and it won't necessarily take the form of a job or a career a good friend of mine she discovered that growing flowers and having an allotment that is what allowed her self to really connect obviously I think it can come in in the world of what we do I was fortunate that Robert, you know, the therapist I went to, who later on became a mentor, he gave me lots of messages at a very young age. You know, he said things like, you can do things your own way, you can be a pioneer in the work that you do and and invent new ways of doing things. So he got my brain to think outside Mm. of the box in that sense and just encouraged creativity, encouraged exploration. So I think if there's somebody, I mean, mentors have played a huge part in my life, a huge part. There have been two people, Robert, and then later my friend Bill, who I work very closely with on Paul's Place. Having their support and encouragement has been absolutely invaluable. So I think, yeah, if there are people out there that you recognise that in some ways doing something that you're interested in doing, to reach out to them, to start talking to people to investigate if there's a new path and again it might take take place in the form of a career but it might it might be something different it might be something that you offer 
in the evenings or just there's so many different things that can be created I think that's what interesting is and I've done that in my life how I can use some of those more challenging emotions to point me closer to my direction so I remember before I started Mother Kind every time I saw someone do a talk about spirituality or self-development or someone coaching or writing I would get this huge pang of envy Mm. and someone said to me that's interesting don't push that away what is it in you that desperately wants to do this work you know and then you know through a series of explorations you know I realized that this was what I wanted to do more of yeah and the same with fear I think so many of the mums that I work with and talk to and I'm sure you've the same is think that if I'm feeling fearful I should stop whereas I teach the opposite that's when you're getting closest to what you should be doing I think when you're stuck in a corporate job, often some mums that I work with, like you say, it can be quite a limiting vision of the world mm. yeah. and what's possible. And put on top of that, you know, young children, cost of childcare, yeah. mortgages, often, yeah. you know, expensive cities that we live in. I think that's why I'm so passionate about the work that, you know, you do and the sort of thing that I do is helping people to get out of that narrow vision and out of our own limiting view of seeing the world and I think as you say we can only do that with someone else Mm. whether that's a friend or a mentor or a coach or a therapist or Mm. a yoga teacher often or you know Mm. absolutely I was just thinking about a woman I spent an hour with last week actually she's going to be doing pause place this year so she came to have a chat about it and again it was taking that risk and it felt a bit risky at the time but it was taking that risk to actually really sit with this person and really see them to really look them in the eyes, to kind of hold each other. You know, we were holding each other's hands and arms and to really connect at that deep level and to see someone deeply and to love them. And it sounds funny, but to love them, to see them as pure possibility and potential and to see the absolute wonder in their being and to acknowledge that we don't see that in ourselves. You know, we all have that feeling that we're not worthy, we're not good enough, who am I? Do we all have that? Well, Robert used to say to me that after 20 years of working with clients, the one thing he learned was that every human being at their core has this sense that they're not good enough. And that his work over those 20 years was having people come to a place where they could experience that who they are is perfectly, you know. Where does that come from? Is that our parenting? Is that societal messages? Yeah, I think it's so many different things. I think it's part of, you know, our human nature. You know, we are separate from, you know, obviously we are all connected on a level, but as a human being, we're, you know, we have this experience of being very separate, separate self, you know, and we see other separate selves and then we start comparing and we start judging and we start analysing and and it's this whole thing of separation that makes us feel different than, other than. Less than. Less than. Maybe that's the journey to go from that. You know, we start whole. Yeah often experiences separateness often a crisis isn't there yeah and then back to wholeness yeah yeah that was my experience I definitely felt not good enough at my core and that's changing amazingly Mm. I feel wholer and wholer especially through the journey of motherhood as we've been talking about yeah I can feel that and it's really lovely to be able to feel your your grounding actually of course you're human and we all have our moments and we all have our challenges but yeah I can really feel that in you and it's that grounding that you are embodying in this moment that when you can take that and be with another human being and and the strength in you 
can strengthen the light in somebody else, in a sense. And when you are able to see with a certain clarity and a certain vision and then see that other human being, and then they start to see that within themselves and then they can recognise it in others, and then we open. And Is that our job as parents? To see the light in them. Mm. Yeah, I feel, I feel like our job of, as parents is just... There's only one job, and that's just to love. To love whatever we see, whether we see the light or whether we don't see the light. It's there, whether we see it or not, it's there. And it doesn't always look bright and sparkly and shiny and happy. And again, all this happiness stuff and positivity stuff, it's not real. You know, we are multifaceted, sensitive beings. We're all worthy of love. And it's difficult. Mm-hmm. And it's a great challenge. But there's no other journey that I would rather be on than the journey of exploring how we can be connected at a deep, deep level and be in that space where I can see that even though we may have different backgrounds and we may look different and we have different jobs and different lives, that on some level we recognise a certain truth in one another. And we also recognise that we don't know anything. That it is, it is a mystery. And the more we... That's like this funny thing with words sometimes. It's like I don't feel like I have any truth I want to tell anyone because it's not about the words. And again, children are brilliant for that. You know, it's not about... It's not about the words so much. It's just about what is. Yeah, someone really wise said that to me once. The three most spiritual words in the English language are I don't know I really loved that I always ask everyone at the end the same question and it's quite a big question okay I'm ready for it um, <laughs> I'm ready for it I think we're opened up bring now, it on. Yeah. which is if you could gift all the mums in the whole world one thing what would you gift them and why it would be absolute and unconditional love And what I mean by that is no matter where you've come from, what you've done, what you've thought, what you said, what you do, what you don't do, that you are absolutely worthy of love and that you are welcome here on this planet, that life wants you here. And I would probably just look them in the eyes with a recognition that they are the teacher, you know, that they are the teacher. There's, you know, I always think about Bill, my friend Bill, who says there's more to learn from every single person than we'll ever possibly know. No one has any more knowledge than anyone else. We all have our own truth within us, and it's that that we need to trust, and it's that that we need to nurture, and it's that that we need to share. And... I would just love them. I would love them and just say, you're doing all right. It's bloody hard. It's a hard life, this being a human thing, but we're doing all right and we've got each other and we need to love each other and support each other and encourage each other. And remember that life is a gift, a real, real gift. We're doing all right. We're doing all right. (laughs) Thank you so much. That was amazing. So lovely to be with you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please check out my Instagram where we continue the conversation and I post daily about all things motherhood and well-being. Also, if you haven't already, have a look at my website because I've been writing more and more blogs and I'm also putting on there all the events and talks that I'm giving 
And of course, if you haven't, then please do have a listen to some of the other episodes because I'm chatting to some really incredible women that I'd love you to enjoy. And if you did enjoy it, then please, please leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. So thank you very much. Mm -hmm.